Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We're in the dog days of summer. I actually had a chance to get out and uh, glass some bucks yesterday evening. I'm down in Alabama right now. And for you folks uh, in Alabama who are jealous of the big ag fields that the guys in the Midwest have to glass on summer evenings, I recommend you try what I did yesterday. It was my first time trying this and it worked out like a charm. If you've got kudzu on your property, I know that stuff is pretty annoying to cut back and it causes lots of problems, but the deer absolutely love it. Set up on that stuff at a safe distance and watch closely. I was actually able to glass some bucks just munching down on the stuff. It was tough to see them at times because the kudzu can get pretty high, but man, I located an absolute hammer of a deer here in Alabama. Now I just need to try to get permission to hunt on that piece of property, but uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. As the summer drags on, if you've got questions, topics, or guests that you'd like to hear on this show, hit me up and let me know. You can reach me on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman. Now, in this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I'm talking with Reese Johnson of Kentucky about his trail camera strategy. Reese runs nearly 150 different trail cameras, so it's safe to say he knows a thing or two about best practices and capitalizing on trail camera intel. Stay tuned to hear how Reese uses his trail cameras to locate bucks, build a game plan, and eventually move in for the kill. Now, I do want to take a moment and thank our partners before we get started here. First of all, Tacticam, the title sponsor for this show. Those guys are absolutely killing it when it comes to their cameras and camera accessories. Uh, it's time right now to be getting your trail cameras back out so you can watch the antler development over the next couple of months. The Reveal X Gen 2 and the Reveal XB are perfect for this. Head over to their website and check these cameras out, www.tacticam.com or www.revealcellcam.com. While you're there, take a look at their 5.0 and 5.0 wide cameras. They're awesome cameras. I've used them on some recent turkey hunts this past spring. They give you 4K footage. One of my favorite accessories is the remote that goes along with these cameras. With the push of just one button, you can control up to five different cameras. So when you're filming, you don't have to worry about missing something. You don't have to worry about, hey, did it turn on or not? One push of one button gets all of your cameras on. They've got mounts for your bow, mounts for your gun, mounts for pretty much anything that you want to do. They've also got the FTS system, which allows you to film straight through your rifle scope. So go check out all their products, Tacticam.com, RevealCellCam.com. Next up is Huntworth. These guys are producing some great hunting clothes at an exceptional price point. Their patterns are awesome. I'm going to be running the Tarnan pattern for early season this year. I've actually been wearing a lot of their lightweight gear this summer. They make some great lightweight, breathable camo shirts. I've been wearing the Durham lightweight pants. They're a great combo for summer chores, putting cameras out, making mock scrapes, digging water holes, planting food plots. Whatever it is that I've been doing, these pants, this lightweight shirt has kept me cool. They dry fast. They're super durable, very comfortable. You can find all their stuff at www.huntworthgear.com. And last but not least, Deer Lab. Deer Lab is the number one trail camera management software for hunters and land managers. 
If you want to learn more about Deer Lab and all of their great features, go listen to the episode that I did a few weeks back with John Livingston, the co-founder of Deer Lab. I'll be sharing some more on this in the coming weeks, but for now, you can give Deer Lab a try for free uh, when you're ready to buy it because I know you're going to love it. You can use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. That's HUNTDEER for 20% off of any plan. Now, let's jump right into the episode with Reese Johnson talking trail cameras. Joining me this week for the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I've got Reese Johnson from Kentucky. Reese, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, glad to have you on. I've heard you on a couple of different uh, podcasts so far, and, man, I got to say, you seem like you might be the trail camera king. I'll take that claim. I'll take that title. <laughs> they'll, they'll give it. If, they'll give, if there's one to be had, I'll, I'll fight for it. There you go. There you go. Uh, before we jump in, if, if folks haven't heard of you or haven't caught some of the other episodes that you've done with, with different guys on the Sportsman's Empire Network, why don't you give us a rundown of who you are and what it is that you do? Sure. So I live in uh, western Kentucky, uh, just out of Paducah. Um, born in Arkansas. Uh, you know, grew up there for a while. I've lived in Mississippi, Georgia, Missouri. I bounced around as a kid. My dad manages. National Wildlife Refuge with the Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, matter of fact, he was just um, last week, or maybe a couple of weeks ago, named uh, National Wildlife Refuge Manager of the Year for 2022 wow. nationwide. So we're pretty, pretty, pretty excited about that. And um, you know, he's earned it. He's been there 30 years. He went to Mississippi State, um, did his uh, wildlife biology masters down there. And so I, you know, had a lot of help growing up i was able to cheat i was able to start start on second base with a lot of knowledge from my dad yeah and then from there you know took it to took it next level for the new age of hunting which was you know social media truck cameras the whole thing and and um and i always knew i wanted to do something wildlife um or you know wildlife related ended up getting into ag, my degree is in ag business um because i just you know, in wildlife, there's only so many so many jobs. It's all government-related, a lot of red tape. So nowadays, went into ag business, which led me into real estate. So now I'm a real estate broker uh, in Kentucky and Tennessee. Um, started out with Mossy Oak Properties. Now I work with Keller Williams. Um, and it has been an absolutely hectic year, uh, by far my best year. And I think anybody would tell you that if they're any good at doing this. And... Um, so it has been chaos, and I'm behind on about everything deer-related at this point in time for usual, but um, I'm not complaining too often much. There you go. There you go. Well, man, I, I got to know, what's that like growing up with a dad with that kind of background? I mean, I think a lot of folks who are, are introduced to hunting by, you know, by their fathers or family member or something like that, and a lot of it is kind of that traditional <clears throat> passed-down knowledge. What it's, what's it like having a dad who's coming at it from an academic perspective? Because he's also an avid hunter, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, we went on, we've done a ton of trips together, and, and we've butted heads a lot, and what it comes down to is, when we butt heads, he, you know, he's like, well, you know, I have the the actual academic knowledge, and what do you know, and it's like, well, my, my theories or plans or knowledge is from experience, and what I'm seeing, testing from being out there, and so we have had many arguments on this deer, this fan, why, what's going on, and, and he's like, well, I'm the biologist here, and you're not, so I, you know, it, it, it does get <laughs> aggravating, but, you know, I do, I do have you know, my logic, my reasonings. And, and so we, we've had many of those discussions where it's gotten a little heated. Man, that's cool. That's cool. So uh, you've done a lot of stuff on social media and you have a little bit of a claim to fame. Can you tell me about, about that? 
Yeah, so I don't know if I can if I can actually say I'm the creator, but I'm definitely the, the promoter slash uh, the one that I will also fight for that title was a Truck M Tuesday. Um, back back when in, in college, I actually had a small LLC, uh, had a couple different businesses through that, and one of them was running social media accounts for outdoor companies. Um, and actually, it was when Twitter was king, uh, not Instagram, which is hard to believe if you think about it nowadays. Um, and Facebook was still, you know, even in, in, its, in its infancy. And uh, that was in college. We'd sit there on our phones in class, running social media accounts, making posts, making tweets, doing all we had to do for these companies. And we'd be doing it in class and making a little side money here and there. Um, I regret nowadays, not just strictly, I feel like if I just strictly promoted myself back then, I, I, missed, I did miss a window there. Um, but learned a lot, burn out on it, man. I'm tired of it, to be honest. Now with really? selling real estate and everything, I'm with selling real estate there. You know, I mean, I'm constantly having to post there. You know, I've sold this, this is what's for sale, this is what's going on. You got to stay top of mind. And so, you know, it's been 10 years, 10 years of social media and I'm burnt. Um, but I do basically, all I, anymore, I just, I just like to post trail camp pictures. I mean, that, my account can be strictly that. I put my kids on there, my hunts on there, whatever. But uh, I've got enough trail camp pictures to post for a lifetime. Um, but that is, I just, I just like posting deer, like big deer. That's, that's what gets me going, and, and that's what I, I'm going to stick to. And, and uh, I'll throw some other stuff in there. But uh, that's, uh, that's what gets me fired up, big deer. Yeah, for sure. How, I got to know, how many trail cameras are you running at this point? Um, it, on the tree last year, it was between 125 and 150. Choo. And that would have been in three states, maybe four. Wow. And I've got, I've got some close friends who do contribute, not going to lie. Um, I, uh, I kind of spearhead that. I'm not, I mean, I will take credit for that one. I kind of like, you know, this is what, cause I mean, I, I have a lot of flexibility with my schedule and desire. And so, you know, they'll help me out. Cameras here, batteries here, cars there, whatever we need. And then a lot of times I'll be the one running down there to check it, move it, replace the batteries, whatever happens. And then, you know, if they're coming to town or this, I know I say, Hey, you know, this one here needs attention. This one hasn't been checked in months. We need to move this one. And so we kind of, we approach it that way. It's, it's sort of a kind of a group effort. And, um, like I say, yeah, we, uh, we cover a lot of ground. I scouted a lot. I love to shed hunt. I didn't get to do as much this year. I, I ended up finishing just short of 50 antlers this year, but two years ago I cracked a hundred. I ended up with like 109, 110 on the season. Wow. And so I just, I mean, I like that as much as anything too. And so with that comes a lot of scouting boots on the ground and a lot of big wood public. Um, and so, you know, that's, uh, on top of, you know, the whole private land management aspect, you know, I've, I've done all that too. And, and it's been lately, um, I've been making trips and going out West, going out West or out that West. I've been going wherever it is, trying to hunt public land and do, and do other things. Um, and just, just challenge myself really, uh, just like to see, I'm at the point now where, I shot a few deer and I, I like to see new places and travel and, and, um, and, and give that a go at least a couple times a year. Yeah, man. And that's one of the reasons that I, that I, I really thought you'd be a, a great guest to have on to talk about trail cameras because, um, you know, you, ha- you have the guys who are like, well, this is my 40 or hundred or 200 acres or whatever. And this is where I run my cameras and I run them on my food plots and I run them on my water holes and, you know, just really set places to put cameras. Then you got other guys who are out on 20,000 acre parcels of, of big woods, public land. And it seems like you kind of do a little bit of everything. You've got some private farms that you hunt. You've also got public that you hunt as well. 
So tell me a bit about sort of your, your hunting situation and, you know, what kind of terrain types are you calling home and where are you running all your cameras? Sure. Well, a lot of it is, um, you know, the private land stuff. We have several leases that we've had, you know, we've lived here for 15 years now and some of them we've lost some along the way, but we've picked up some others here and there. Um, and anymore, I treat those for my, uh, uh, I try to use those for friends, family, my, my grandpa, my wife, uh, kids are getting almost old enough to go. So I kind of baby those and use that in those in that way, unless, you know, in Kentucky we get one buck tag. So it's going to have to be a special deer. You know, I get one deer to chase and I'm going to usually target one deer, one deer only. Now I'll have plan B, C, D, E, and F, but I'm going to have one deer that's going to get the majority of my focus, especially if I can have any kind of history or plan with him. And that's with one buck tag in my pocket, the way I'm going to approach that. And um, so <laughs> when it comes to private, a lot of my stuff, especially on farms we've had history with, you know, we kind of find, I do find those classic traditional trail cam locations uh, where, because, you know, I run a lot of cheap ones. I've got some mid, mid-tier ones and I've got some expensive ones. And so everybody's got their budget and, and their level of desire. And so, the way I approach it with my hunting style and being that I'm focusing typically on one deer, I'm going to cast a wide net. I'm going to throw a lot of cameras up there, a lot of cheap cameras out there. And then when I find either a very good spot or a buck that I want more videos of, more pictures of, or I'm, where I'm trying to learn about, then I will dedicate 10, 20, 30 cameras, whatever necessary to learning more about him. And I'll even do that for deer that I anticipate going and that I might hunt next year or the year after. If they are two or three, you can you can be studying and preparing for that deer when he's, assuming he survives, when he's what you hope that he will be when he's mature. Yeah, so man, you're getting a ton of data from all these cameras. I, before we get into some of the nitty gritty stuff, I got to know how in the world are you keeping track of all this data? On X. On X, no okay. Way. On X, I mean, as far as the actual location stands, um, and I have a color-coordinated system, um, and then I typically leave myself notes at every single location of, you know, maybe what it is, what it is I'm looking for, because, you know, when you put that camera out in the summertime, that scrape may not be there, you know, to the naked eye. You may, you know, you may have to look for some other, or you, you know, you're looking, you're, it may not be a scrape, and, you know, it might be two trails crossing, it might be a bed, you know, there's, there's certain things, so I try to leave myself a lot of notes, and I keep it pretty well. And Onyx is, you know, short of carrying a handheld GPS and getting yourself right on the right on the money. I'm pretty reliant on it, and um, uh, that's where I that's where I stick. Yeah, you doing anything special to keep up with all the pictures themselves once you get them home? <clears throat> so I've got 50 to 60 gigabytes worth of trocan pictures on this computer, and going back 10 years, or probably well since 08. So this is longer now, 14. Um, I organize them by farm and year. And then I, sometimes if a piece of public or a state has different areas and I can break it down farther, I will. Um, a lot of the public land or private land farms are pretty simple because it's just the farm and there's only X amount of locations and I know where they're going to be once I rec- see the picture and recognize it, especially if I've had a camera on that tree the same X amount of years in a row. Yep. Um, so I'm not super worried about that. And then, and then of course, when I, put them in and then I'll filter it by date when I, so like usually this time of year I'm starting to 
put my cameras out as I have time going out and I'll put, I like to go through each farm, refresh my memory, every area that I'm going to. Okay. What was here last year? Is there anything I should be, I should be forgetting? You think I should be, this deer was here when, um, there is a new lease we picked up last year. We had a deer. It was a, a very nice deer, mature shooter, but we didn't have any history. This was the first year we had it. He was there in velvet up to September 24th and then gone. Well, now, and then, and then I'll say that, and then I pulled the camera after she, while I was in her shed hunting, and I had a picture of him with both antlers in March and also in January. So basically what that tells me, that deer summers on us and leaves, and then he comes back. He came back January, March, you know, January, February, March, and, you know, basically came back to his summer range after the rut was over. And so if we're going to kill that deer, and if that deer is a target for me, my dad, or anybody else, we need to be planning on shooting that deer the first 30 days of September. Yep. Yep. Now, do y'all have a late season where you could get after him in January if he comes back next year? We, we do, and that is an option. Now that I, and that's just the kind of stuff that without trail cameras, you would never know that. Yep. So that's the beauty of it. And, and, and that, that will teach, that has taught me a lot is how far these deer go, um, no matter where you're at. It's, I don't think people, you know, the average home range, they say, is 640 acres, one square mile. And generally speaking, you, that's true, you know, but, these deer go on, and, and I love, love, love like Mississippi State that the, the collarings when they see these deer during the rut, and they they have two separate home ranges, and they're going on these different excursions, this, that, and the other, and you know, picking up deer two, three, four miles away, or you're hunting. You know, we had two leases that were three miles away, and we got the same buck on each lease one time. Oh my goodness! Year. But I mean, and that's probably, you know, and so that it doesn't. And the other thing, and this is another, this is an analogy that I like to use that I don't think people, it, it's easy if you think about it. Deer are very much like people. Um, you know, some people like to go out, go out and party. Some people like to stay home. Some people, you know, grow taller, grow shorter, heavier, lighter, whatever. Well, deer are the same way. I mean, if you really think about it, they have, there's enough different characteristics in, in, in the sense that some, some, <clears throat> some will be fully grown by July 4th and some of them. We'll, we'll put on 40 inches from August to September. They're just late. You know, they were, and a lot of that can be, can be contributed to whether they were born early or late as pawns and, or, you know, and then it's, it's like the study they did on, <clears throat> it was a, it was a uh, late born fawn. It took, if, if, because it was a, a healthy doe came in, had a healthy fawn who then came into estrus in January. She was then bred and had a, a late fawn. So then a healthy deer had a late fawn. Well, then the late fawn was behind all the other fawns because it was born in August, you know, July, maybe August. Well, then the cycle, then everything's off, and that's when you have a deer density problem. That's what creates that. Yep. It gets too many deer. So then that deer was behind, and it took three or four years of antler growth to catch up to the other deer that were born when they were supposed to be born. Yep. And yep. so there's all kinds of, you know, Nick, and, and that's the thing. People are a lot like deer in that sense. Deer are a lot like people in the sense that they're not all the same. Some like to stay at home. Some of them like to go out and travel. They all have different tendencies. People kind of put deer in a box, but they're not. You know, they all have their own personalities. They all have their own you know, comfort areas, their tolerance levels. Um, and that's just the best way that I've been able to explain to people that until you learn that deer, and that's why to me, chess with one deer is one specific buck is just the, the, the pinnacle. I mean, you just don't, you just, you learn his in, his out, you figure it out, and you deep dive until he is on the wall. Yeah, for sure. So 
Tell me about, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk these days when it comes to trail cameras. You know, you've got the guys who are definitely like, I'm on this camera, I'm watching this camera, and as soon as I see that buck, I'm moving in. They're worried about this year's data. And then there are other guys that are like, man, I set my cameras out and I don't touch them all year long. I come back after the season and see what happened and just try to learn that new spot. So when you're sort of getting all of your data, are you concerned with actionable data for, for this year? Are you building for future years? Or are you trying to do kind of a mix of all of it? I'm doing a mix. And so there was a, a another state that I incorporated last year. And my intent, my full intent there was to let the camera soak and tell me, is this somewhere I want to be spending more time? Do I want more cameras here? And, and what I was able to gather is, you know, I, I had some deer that were okay. There was not a lot of human pressure, but the quality of deer I was looking for wasn't there. Uh, for, for the time I was going to have to drive and the money I was going to have to spend to get that tag and put everything in, I have, I'm not going to say I've, I've exited off completely, but I'm not going to devote 15 cameras to that big piece of public and, or take a week trip and go hunt there next year. So I'm going to, I'm going to revamp. I'm going to find a different block of public in that state and take off and go that way and maybe have some better luck and find a, a better shape, a better age structure in a different herd somewhere else or, and, you know, do that. So in that situation, I let those cameras soak all year long. I put them out in July and August. I think I checked them one time in October and then took them down in shed season. So, I mean, you take some risks there. I am not a huge fan of letting cameras soak by any means because there's just too much that can go wrong. I mean, it doesn't, if it's a self cam, you know, they, you have one bad battery causes them to go dead. Somebody steals your SD card. You're putting a lot of faith, you know, somebody cuts your lock even. You can take all the extra measures you want to, you know, or, a, you know, a coon grabs it and turns it the wrong way. Or, you know, there's just so many variables no matter what quality camera you have, that I am not a fan of letting them soak for too awful long if I cannot at all help it. Because, you know, how many times are you so excited you wait six months, you go in there, and there's nothing. There's no pictures. You're just, you know, that's the ultimate letdown. And then you wasted all that time. Assuming you had data, in reality you didn't have, you ended up with, with nothing but wasted time. Yeah. So I, I don't like to let them soak if I can at all help it. Yeah, this, this man, this was my first year where I let cameras soak for an extended period of time. And it was going really great until we got up to Wisconsin's nine-day gun season. And I I had people tell me that I needed to pull them in before gun season. I've heard it on podcasts. I should pull them in before gun season. But I was like, you know what? I want to know where, there's de- where those deer go whenever the pressure comes on. Well, I don't have a ton of cameras, but I lost four of them during gun season. And it's not people stealing the cameras. They would take the SD card out, and then they would just demolish the camera. I don't know if they were one got shot one guy i guess bashed in with the with the butt of a rifle or something and i'm just like why why tear it up like just bring a yeah. lot bring a lot it, bolt it back and take it I, I don't know but but maybe even just leave me the data like the the sd card you can have the camera just leave me the card the card's what i want you know what i mean like I, i'm after what's yeah. on i'm after the intel um but yeah man it's it was brutal and, and here's my you know that's the thing if you're going to run a month on the plan it's inevitable. Even on private land, I had a guy dragging a deer through my food plot last year. Oh my you know, gosh! It was the neighbor. It was the deer we had three years of pictures with history. He was a four year old. Oh. Um, you know, I didn't. I wasn't hunting that farm um, much because it wasn't there that I was interested in. I, I kind of kept that deer in the back of my mind because he was mature for maybe a guest or uh, a family member or something, and um, found out. He, he, the deer was dead because of Facebook, you know, thankful, you know, good old Facebook these days. You find out more deer guy that way than anything. But, <laughs> um, so 
I knew it was dead, and then I went up and pulled that card, but it had run onto us, you know. They shot it just across the line. You could see the sand, you know, steer ran onto us, and he drug it right through the food plot, which I never said a word to him. That, you know, they don't even know that I know. But, you know, a courtesy call would have been nice that, hey, the deer, you know, it's not like we don't know who it is and, and them, but a courtesy call would have been nice, like, hey, that deer ran over there, we're going to go get it. But now I have yeah. physical evidence of you standing in the food plot dragging the deer. It's just kind of annoying is what it was. Sure. But, you know, stuff like that, you know, it happens. Um, so, anyways, the point of that was public or private, it's going to happen. You know, I've had, just, I've had cameras stolen on private just like I've had them stolen on public or messed with on public. And so, you know, it's a risk you're going to take. And so, like you said, most of the time people have, you know, most folks are just honestly not thieves. Most outdoorsmen are just not. They will either take your card or take your card. They're not going to take your camera. They're not going to. I have had cameras stolen, and I have had cameras smashed and left at the base of the tree. I've, had them, I've seen them thrown 10 yards and see them way, way over there. And, um, but generally speaking, yeah, they're going to take your card or turn it off or, or whatever. But, you know, it happens. It does happen, and it is very, very frustrating. So you add that into the fact of the variables of letting cameras soak. Um, it's not a, not a huge fan if I can at all help it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, so man, you've got a ton of experience, which is why I wanted to have you on, but also having a fleet of 150 cameras is not super relatable for, for the, you know, the, the average guy that's running. I mean, I feel like I've got a lot and I'm running like 15 or 16 cameras at this point and that's overwhelming to me. So I have no idea how you keep up with all of yours, but, um, I want to pose this question, just sort of how we can begin to take some of your strategy and maybe the guy with 10, 15 cameras can kind of begin to incorporate some of that or maybe even fewer cameras. So I want to pose this question to you. If you are starting from scratch on a brand new farm, like what is your, what is your trail camera strategy going to look like? So I can use, I can use our lease from last year as a, as a good example. Um, there's one way in, one way out. And a lot of times it was, it was 300 and some odd acres, but it hunted small because there's one way in, one way out. And so it's very long and skinny. Mm-hmm. And I have another farm that we've hunted for several years. Um, and, and what happens on those long and skinny farms, you have different deer at the front as you do at the back. Yep. And then you have, especially there's another farm I can think of that has a big, deep holler in the middle. And the deer on the back don't cross that holler often, and the deer on the front don't cross to go to the back. So even on private, where you are bound by property lines, so you know, I would look for anything that had those features. So I knew the front was, you know, I don't know how many yards, thousand, fifteen hundred yards, and this is in a high deer density area, and what would what we anticipate to be a quality area. So with that much food, the deer don't have to travel if they don't want to. Therefore, I would expect that the deer at the front are not going to be at the back and the deer at the back are not going to be at the front. So I need enough cameras. And, you know, the beautiful thing about Kentucky for now until they outlaw it is we can bait. So that makes life easy when it comes to inventory and trail cameras and mineral licks too. You know, I I have some that are as big as a truck truck hood at this point that have been there for 10 years. And I can pretty well count on those established sites telling me what is at that portion of the farm. Therefore, I can be more efficient with my trail cameras because I don't have to have as many as in other states where you can't do that or in public where you can't do that. You have to have more cameras to get an accurate idea of what is in there and what where that particular deer may or may not be using. So those, those, those type of sites, if you can do that, obviously help. So in that particular instance, we took four, four or five bags of corn. And I think uh, 
you know, if he's, if he's long and skinny, we had two at the back, one at the middle and two at the front, you know, and, and that was still early in the year. You know, we, we didn't get on it till September. So actually season was already in, but we were able to, you know, diagnose right away that the deer at the back were different than the deer at the front. So five cameras on that long and skinny 300 acres. And then from there on, we branched out. And, and a lot of, you know, I mean, people just either A, don't have, or B, don't, aren't willing to, or aren't dialed, don't, as far as spending money and being with, the, you know, with those cameras. So you got to look at the topo, figure out where can you get the most. And this one here had some logging done, so it was very thick. And so the road was in a lot of ways, so when I say thick, I mean thick, because what had happened, the tornado had come through and they logged where that tornado had hit. So that was, the deer were bedding in it, yes, but they were going around it just as much. So the road, and, and since it was behind the gate, one way in, one way out, they they locked that road just as much as they did anything. Mm. So the road was actually a good spot for us to kind of get. So I found a large area where two trails intersected, and it also just happened to be a saddle topography-wise we put the corn out there, put the camera there, and that was essentially our first best spot. And so we call it the intersection. There's going to be a, a camera there forever and ever. And, and you'll kind of pick up on those things. You know, you look at the, the topography plus with what you have in real life, and you try to find those plus views and put the two things together and be the most efficient. And if you can't be the most efficient, like that spot was, when I saw it on the map, I was like, camera's right there. That's, that's no question. It's a no-brainer. We're doing one there. The next one's like, okay, we – didn't find that spot from the farm. I didn't. I, could, I couldn't locate it on the first trip down. First time seven foot. I didn't see it on the map. It just wasn't glaring to me. So that's when we find it. We just found an edge, put out forward, let the let the camera do the math. But you know, and figure it out for us. But I just knew we needed one at the front. And of course, the deer on the front was different than deer than any of the deer we had in the middle of the back. So I don't know. That's if at all possible. Obviously, more cameras would be better. Um, and here's my thing um, on the quality of trail cameras. I have a lot of them because a lot of them are cheaper. That you can, you know, you can buy cheaper cameras. Um, for me, I'd rather have the data than a good picture. Mm-hmm. Data is more important. Now, don't get me wrong. I love having good pictures to post and to share with everybody. But knowing that deer was there on that day, that time, in daylight or not, means more than having a good picture. In in most situations, now. Where my big deer are, I'm gonna go put my good cameras because I want good pictures. Yep. I mean, big deer, right? But if I don't, so a lot of times I keep four or five good cameras in reserve for when a camera spot fires up, or if I have an unexpected deer show up or an unexpected spot that really took off. I had a scrape last year that I had found on public, put a camera up, had three deer show up over 140 there, and I was like, man. So I pulled that ca- pulled that camera, put my good camera on video mode and got some really, really good scrape videos and activities on that particular spot. But, you know, it took me, but it took one of my reserve cameras, and then I pulled the cheap camera and so on and so forth. Um, So I like to approach it quality-wise. I do it in that way also. Okay. So if you're, if you're coming up to, let's say, let's say it's not a new farm, not a new lease where you can drop some corn or that kind of thing to serve as an attractant, but you're going to jump out on a brand new piece of public. Uh, maybe even one that you haven't really had the chance to scout much yet. Are you just, is your strategy to just let me find some edges that look pretty good and put out as many cameras as I possibly can, or how are you going to begin there? Well, you're still going to be limited by your resources, which is going to be the amount of cameras you're willing to allocate, whether you, whether it's dollars or 
the fact you have so many to put out and so much time. So you're going to look, you're going to look for what on a topo and, and see what sticks out to you there. Um, saddles are obviously a hot spot. I don't think that they are the best places to hunt. Um, everybody under the sun who listens to podcasts or does any research nowadays knows to look for a saddle. So that's where you also see people. Those deer, and I love listening to the, I don't even, I can't think of his name, but Spartan Forge guy talked about the the collar data and all the stuff that they do. You know, how a lot of times those mature deer will just do nothing more than check a saddle but not actually go to it. And I think a lot of these other mature deer will go to it only at night. But it's still a good spot for a camera because you still know that they're in the area. So I don't like to per se hunt those, but that's where all you all the other people are going to go too. So you kind of got to, you know, are you is, what's your what's your risk tolerance tolerance on losing your camera? Are you okay if mm. it gets stolen? Are you gonna are you gonna put it on a field edge and let it get checked by everybody else? Is it worth that to you? Or are you gonna put it fifty yards back on the trail where it's where they're coming out? And yes, it's only one trail and there's ten, but your camera's probably going to be safe. You know, what is, what is your risk and what do you want to do? So, um, topography, scrapes are always king. Um, you know, I'm not scared to put a, open up a scrape, uh, put a camera on a scrape. And that's the other thing. If you can't do bait or cold, if you can't do bait, you can't do middle, something like that. Well, then what you can do is legal for the most part is, is either, you know, a natural mock scrape or if you can get a hold of synthetic and you like that. I don't personally take the time. I haven't, you know, gone through the whole buying and thing and I'm, I'm sure it would, it would work um, I'm just it's not something else I want to keep up with truthfully but you know I will go find so basically and, and there was another guy on um, I think it was Parker's podcast it was, uh, the Bobby guy he was talking about finding the funnel well you can't cut trees on public land but you can drag branches you can drag trees you can put the deer where you want the deer to be so if you can't do it with bait use what's available make the scrape Find where two trails meet. Find the topography. Find the scrape that exists or make your own. Create it. Make it look there. Start it in June. Get it started. And, and then use what's your, what resources, resources you have to force the deer to walk in front of your camera. Yep. Yep. Man, I, you know, one thing that I was out just uh, about a week and a half ago right now, and uh, I, I know that deer use uh, licking branches and stuff like that year-round. I know that they'll hit scrapes year-round, um, but – so this would have been 4th of July weekend uh, that I was out and I was on this uh, little private farm that I've got permission on. And there are several licking branches where I have cameras out and they have been getting smashed like more so than I've ever seen before. These licking branches just fired up in July. Is that something that you see uh, a lot or is that, is this just kind of a weird blip going on? Do you think on this, on this one farm? I don't think it's a weird blip, but I do. I don't, I mean, if you listen to some of the scientific stuff and I forget who I, you know, who I heard it from, but you know, the pawing doesn't begin until typically October. And I think that's testosterone related, but they're always, they know what deer in the area, you know, they, it's like, you know, when you go to the office, you know, who's at work, you know, who's been at their desk, you know, who's where and who's been and who's not. So, you know, those are people that they see every day. They're deer that they smell every day. They know who's in the area and it's just another form of communication. So, um, they probably come through more than you think, which is why I'm not scared to put cameras on scrapes. I, I typically put them up in June, take them down in February, March, whenever I can get to them. And then, and then another thing that I, another point that I didn't have, haven't talked about is as far as when I take them down, you know, I'm using my Onyx to color coordinate, uh, still up, taken down. Um, and then I have another color. Yes, the camera needs to be back here next year or another color for this camera visit wasn't as good as I 
thought it would be, um, we should consider moving it. We, should, you know, this is just this is an old spot that there was a camera, and I don't delete those because I want to know. You know, after so many years and looking at so many properties, you know, you forget like you know maybe you did have a camera in that area two or three years ago and it didn't produce like you thought. So don't go back there thinking that it's going to be good now. And so I'm not scared of scrapes whatsoever. I mean, I'll leave them up on the year round. You know, as far as the, the falling and whatnot, you just catch the right deer on the right day who's in the right mood. I mean, it doesn't surprise me whatsoever that that would be something you'd be seeing. Um, and, and you can always open them back up yourself. Um, you know, if you want to key in them, you can. Sometimes it is, sometimes it don't. Um, you can, you know, twist the branches and, you know, make it visual. And I know uh, Troy Potts is big on that, you know, doing the, the visual to go with. And so, you know, if you want to get, you know, if you want to really focus on an area, you have a deer, you know, you can go in there and especially in October, make it really, really seem like it, it's not just a new scrape, but a, with the, the rubs and everything that might be within stock match. The How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best action cameras on the market for the hunter and angler. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. They also just launched the Reveal X Gen 2 cell camera that provides top-notch photo and video quality at a price point that's in reach for the everyday outdoorsman. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried filming your hunting and fishing excursions, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 5.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and to check out their full line of products, head over to their website, www.tacticam.com and share your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera management app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them, like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. You can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me, and occasionally you forget to set the right time and date on the camera before you set it out. Head over to www.deerlab.com to check them out. Use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, at checkout for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. So once you have started this process, right, like you've you've canvassed the area, um, what I, I have a pretty good idea of this already, but what's going to, what kind of activity, especially this time of the year, so we're recording this in July, um, what kind of activity at this time of year is going to make you say, I'm going to leave that camera there. And what kind of activity is going to make you say, you know what? It, it's had a couple of weeks. It's had enough time. I'm pulling this and moving it somewhere else. Cause I, I, I think I'm guilty of leaving bad cameras in places for too long and not pulling them and, and, and putting them in my better spots. Because I have enough, I probably do that more than I should by leaving them because there's only so many, so much time of the day to check and find these spots and move. So that's why to me, I prefer to mark those good spots as much as possible in postseason scouting. Okay. So I will mark and describe them and then go in there in the summertime. Now, that's the problem. When it, it looks completely different in February than it does in July, you walk in there and you're like, did I really mark something right here? But, you know, <laughs> I, I, but I, I trust myself. I saw something. I wouldn't have put that pin there. So that's when you go to the description and you start looking like, okay, 
I marked this as there was a straight period. I just don't, I just don't know where it's at. It's obviously covered leaves, or this was two trails crossing, or maybe it is very, very obvious. Um, and so, you know, I may be guilty of leaving cameras uh, longer than I should, but in the end, you know, the whole point of them is is, is intel and in quality pictures. I mean, that's what you want. You want good pictures of the big deer. So, the way I do it is I throw that wide net, and and, and you know, there's, and then you also got to take into consideration of even if it's not the best spot, but that deer is that camera is a placeholder in this block of woods where if a deer were to move in or something or something were to change, or even if it's a new spot like this, there's one camera in this 500 acres block. At some point, the deer that's in here is big enough. If he walks by it, but he only comes by once. Well, I know he's within a couple of miles. I just got to go narrow it down. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big wide net. Keep at least a camera or two in certain areas and give it the benefit of the doubt. But just like I was talking about when I was scouting out of state last year, those 15 cameras, as hard as, I, as hard as it was to get back in there and the effort I went through to have the results that I had, I'm not going to go back. Not, not, not likely. There might be one or two spots that were okay if I was in the area. But it wasn't worth the effort. And, and it took all year to figure that out. Yeah, once, once you've cast that wide net – and you've started to eliminate locations, right? Like, okay, this one's not good. This one's not good. How do you start the process of backtracking some of these deer, especially on a new piece? Like maybe you're not super familiar with it, uh, but you got a good buck. Maybe he's every, every week or so, once or twice a week, you're getting him on camera. How do you start to kind of backtrack him? Are, and are you running these cameras on picture mode or video mode? Like what, what kind of intel are you gathering to help you backtrack them? As much as I, I don't do video mode as often as I should because I'd rather have the you know those those file sizes are big and it fills up cards and batteries go through quicker. I will on my specific deer, but usually at that point I already know where they're summering, where they're spending their fall, what they're doing. Hopefully I have some sheds and I have a, a pretty good idea before I ever make it to that point before I start putting them on video mode. Gotcha. Um, if it, if it's a new deer, you know, and this is a personal theory, just you know, just from hunting and watching, you know, if, if you've hunted a food pot and your camera is on the scrape there, you know, you go hunt that day. You, you Let's say you saw 10 deer. Well, how many deer walked in front of that camera? Two. You know, and you check that camera, you're like, well, I only got two pictures of deer, but I saw 10. So my theory is, is if that deer's on that camera once, and he's probably within 100 yards of that camera three to five times if he's yeah. on it once, with, yeah. within a week. So, um, for, you know, for example, there was a deer I shot a few years ago he was in the food pot with the camera, but was never going to walk by it. But I, I mean, I, I shot him that same day, but he was never going to come anywhere near the camera. He's mm. chasing the doe and was on the other end. And that was the only camera I had within two or 300 yards there. So I wouldn't have known he was there that day if I wasn't there to physically see it. So that's another representation of, if they're on the camera once, then they're, they're most likely there more than the camera is telling you. You know, you have to take, you know, even somebody like me who lives and dies with it, you can you have to remember that it's just a small portion of the entire picture. Yeah, and so you cannot let that data consume you to the point and just in, in, in the sense that that is your own. Like, well, he's on a camera. I'm not going. Well, that doesn't that doesn't mean he's not there. You know, you can't. You have to always remember that. You know, as much as as much as I'd like to believe it, and that's not always the truth. And so, um, I don't know. I kind of. So anyway, that, that, that's kind of uh, one of my theories on that. And, and I'm, yep. you know, like you can't, you can't live and die with it. Um, you, it always comes with a grain of salt. 
Yeah. So, so as you start to backtrack these deer, are you, are you relying more on like the terrain feature to kind of, to kind of say, well, it so looks like I'm, he's coming through a saddle. Or are you saying maybe it's a trail or maybe it's a line of scrapes or, or you get just yeah, going to so, hug the closest bedding. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I got, I got off on that other theory and I kind of, no, that, that's good. I, I'll go, I'll I go, back, I'll go back to that question. <laughs> well, I go back to that question now. So obviously at that point, I'm going to look at the, the aerial, the target them. So, okay. I know nothing about this deer, but I have one picture of him. Okay. So I have one picture of him. This is where he's at. All right. So if I'm looking, you know, there's, Maybe there's crop fields here. Maybe there's a thicket there. I'm going to start trying to logic. Like, okay, I've had cameras over here on the west side before, and I've never seen this deer. Well, maybe then I need to start looking to eat. Because if he's not already, I can already eliminate this because he, he's never been on anything I've ever ran over here, but I got him this far. And then, you know, so, so then you kind of just process of elimination. As a matter of fact, I've got a deer right now I'm struggling to do that with because we got a picture of him in November. Good deer, one that interested me. And I was like, okay, and I, I did exactly that. I logic it out, and I thought, okay, this is probably where he's going to be. So I went and spread out a dozen cameras um, around the first of December, all for this year. You know, I, I, I didn't, I knew I would not have enough intel to reasonably hunt that deer or give up what I'd already worked for on the other hunting in a different deer. But I, I found, I got the picture, and was like, okay, and they ran all the way into February, March, and I never got another picture of them. So that tells me one of two things. I missed my logicing, if that's the word, and he is somewhere that he, he didn't do what I thought he was going to do. Yep. So I missed. So now I I can put a big X on this block, and I'm going to the next block. Okay, if, if, he, if he wasn't here, there's a chance he was likely could be here, or maybe I need to put some cameras here. He, he, he went farther than I thought. So that, that that's exactly that. And then two, because that picture was in November, that deer could have summered in that area where I got his picture in November and now he went and now he's back to his fall range. So if I run cameras where I got a picture of him, because a lot of times that's what they'll do, uh, just like the deer that I was talking about I shot a minute ago, that was where that deer summered. So Salt Lake, that, that deer I had pictures of in, in Velvet for three years, he would always disappear on me October 1st. Well, that particular year, well, no, that's not true. The year before he came back, the day before gun season for a picture, only hard one picture I had of him. Wow. So the next year I knew, because what happens is, and I don't, I forget where I heard this, but you know, essentially they will, sometimes those bucks will run back to their summer range looking for that first hot doe because that's an area they feel safe and an area that they know comfortably. So if there's no hot does early last week of October, first week of November in their summer, in their fall range, they may go back to their summer range for a quick stint, try to pick up the first doe and then go back to their fall range where they extend, especially if it's only a mile or two, you know, worse versus some of these that are much farther. Sure. And so going back to that deer, my theory now is we got a picture of that deer in his summer range. Only once in November, he came back looking for those and it could have just been a random jaunt. Don't get me wrong. But the other theory is that he could have came back to his summer range. So I will keep some cameras in there for this summer. See if I can't pick him up. But the question is, where does he go in the fall? So now that it's still a challenge, I've already got a handful of cameras out in that rough vicinity, trying to figure out where he might be going, and that's just a that's just a challenge. And I don't know, I don't know, and I'm working on it. So that deer there may travel three to five miles, and then you know the, some of the other deer, you know, may only go a mile from summer to fall. Yeah, I say I, a mile is average. Okay, okay, that was that was going to be <laughs> one of my other questions: is 
you know, you, you run a lot of these, uh, a lot of these cameras during the summertime and you're getting a lot of summertime Intel. Are you putting a ton of weight on those because you know, the shift is coming or are you just kind of like, Hey, I'm just going to take inventory and then we'll see what's left after the shift. I don't, yeah, you can't put too much stock in that inventory because there are a lot of deer that I, I, I you know, I like I said, I was going back the other night looking through my summertime pictures. I had the other pictures of it and then I never saw again. And it goes to logic that they should be close. I should get some picture of them and then you never see them again. Wow. And so what that tells me is that particular deer may have up and gone four miles and I just, in an area I'm not covering. Uh, or, you know, he could be going to the neighbor's farm, not the neighbor's farm, but the neighbor's 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 farm. And that's why we don't ever see him again. Yeah. And so there was some deer like, uh, that I was looking through those photos, and I was like, man, I never, I never got enough picture of that deer hardcore. So you can't put too much in velvet because you can't, you know, that's why November pictures obviously mean more because that's when you're hunting, uh, and in October too versus September or not September, July, August. So you can only do so much. But with it being a one mile average, so if it's the average deer, you should be within a mile of where he's going to send his fall. Therefore, you should be logically able to track him down unless you're unlucky enough that he's one of those deer that's going to go on a big run and end up 15, 20 miles crossing three rivers in two counties, like you see, <laughs> like, like you see on those college studies, which yep. I think happens way more than people give credit for. Yeah, I bet, man. If it happens a couple of times in a college study, if you just magnify that out to the rest of the of the population, you got to figure it happens quite often. Right, like even the huff buck, you know, I mean, you think yep. about that, eight miles. Yep. But I think that that happens more than people give credit to it until we have a better representation those studies, um, I don't think, and, and you're not, and you know, is, you're not going to, you're going to have a tough time convincing the other generations of that, yep. you know? Yep. So I've got, I've got a question for you relating to, uh, how your trail camera strategy might look different if you were a different kind of person. And I know that sounds weird, but, but hang with me here. So I have not gotten to the point in my deer hunting career yet, just given my setting and given that it's primarily public land that I'm sharing with a lot of other folks. I'm not at the point in my journey yet where I'm wanting to really target a specific buck. Now, if a good one's in there, like you better believe I want to get him and I want to get after him. At the same time, I'm kind of just like, man, if a nice three and a half year old 135 inch deer walks by, he's catching one every time. Or I'm going to, I'm going to shoot one at him. I'm going to scare him at least. Uh, You know what I mean? And so how would your trail camera strategy look different if you were targeting just a, you know, any good three and a half year old buck, as opposed to going after one very mature, very special deer. Sure. So you could very well equate that to when I, you know, I, I went to Kansas last year and Iowa the year before. Iowa was close enough that I was able to run up there in the summertime and put up like six or eight cameras. Um, and then I had a friend that I stayed with while I was up there, which is why I picked that particular zone. He was able to run them for me once. And then I went up there and shifted them. Um, one weekend in one weekend in October, and hunted two days. Came back home. It was a six-hour drive, and then went up there and spent a full week. Um, and in like like in that particular situation, I was a little more picky in Iowa and even Kansas. You know, I'm going to be a little more picky than, than just shoot average deer. But if I was doing that, and in those particular situations, if you're not looking for a specific deer, you're looking for opportunity. So you're looking for chances. Yep. So where is the spot? that I can put this camera or which camera has three good deer on it versus one okay deer or one really good deer. If my goal is just that, you find the spot that has more deer because whether it's topography or more does or, or whatever's bringing them to that area. So if I have six cameras and one of them's got 
three 130s on it, and one of them's got one 140 on it, then, then maybe I'm going to the one where it's been, you know, three. You know, you want to, you're, you're, you're increasing your odds if you're on limited time, limited resources, out of state, whatever it may be. So you're, you're looking for the spot that's going to increase your odds because then you're playing the odds, not checks. Yeah, so you're, you're going to kind of use almost the same strategy when it comes to moving your cameras around and shifting them, but you're shifting them for the quantity, not the quality necessarily. Right, right. I mean, you're still looking for, you know, you still want to be happy with what you take home. Yeah. But yes, you know, when I, those summer, it, it was so, it was funny when I decided to pull the Iowa. I, I was actually was closer than I thought. I was able to make four or five trips. I went up there and scouted during, I was hunting in North Missouri during turkey season. And then the turkey hunting wasn't that good. And I was like, man, I'm only two hours from Iowa. I'm going to go scout in hopes that I draw this year. So I went and scouted. I found the spot. And then, no, I, I, this, I, I, I misspoke. That was my fault. So I found the spot, marked the spot for cameras, mailed them to my friend who put them out for me. That's what happened. And then I went, and then he checked them for me once, and then I went up there the first weekend, one weekend in October, checked them. It was honestly subpar. I was very disappointed, mm-hmm. truthfully, for the amount of time that I found and for, for what I was, you know, Iowa, for what I was expecting. Yep. Um, and turns out that that particular piece of public I was trying on just basically got gun on it pretty hard. Uh, the age structure was not there, but you know, it's just a lesson learned. Yep. And, um, so, um, I was able to eliminate and that's, that's, and truck cameras are just as good for that. I, I eliminated several small chunks of public real quick because there was nothing there that intrigued me. And if, if nothing else, you're eliminating them as much as you're finding them and you're saving yourself time in that way versus having to scattered on foot, spend an afternoon sitting there and potentially seeing nothing and learning it the hard way. Yeah, absolutely. Keep you from keep you from wasting a bunch of sits and a bunch of a uh, bunch of time and a bunch of effort. And if you're uh, if you're like me and you, bunch of bunch of time away from the family, man. I, I don't know about you, but it seems like uh, you know making time for hunting is always a bargain. You're always giving something up. You know, what right, I mean? right. I mean, time with your kids is hard. And the way I've approached it, you know, I have a very flexible schedule because I work for myself, so I can pretty well do that. And there was a couple. It took me a couple years of of uh, crazy freedom to kind of reel that in and figure out the best way that works for me and, and my, and make sure my kids get the time that they need for all the, which that time is coming, you know, I'm getting less and less time between business growing and the kids having more and more sports. We're doing softball twice a week now and, Ooh, you know, man. Uh, soccer, soccer camp and everything else. So you, so you start adding that in. So <clears throat> the way I've approached it and uh, just in case anybody else, you know, there's no riders on the way, obviously, but two trips a year and I space them out. Um, one in September typically and one in November. So, being home, I can typically hunt early season, late season on my farms or public pretty easy, no problem. So you want to enjoy the rut somewhere else, so I go take, and that's kind of the thing. It's like that way the family knows. Like, look, you just know I'm going to be gone the first week of September. I'm going to go out west somewhere. You know, I've been to Wyoming last year, uh, Nebraska the year before, Colorado the year before that. This year I'm going to Alaska, uh, which is actually in August, but still, um, I'm going for that week, and then. I'm be gone the first week in November. You just count on it, that, you know, somewhere. So this year I didn't draw Kansas. That's unfortunate. So I'm looking at probably public in Ohio, um, you know, maybe Indiana, Illinois, kind of something like that. But I'm, I'm still trying to figure that, that plan out because I didn't draw. But, you know, my solution is one week in November, one week in September. Those hunts are two months apart. Kind of get things to settle down. The family knows I'm going to be gone. And then when I'm home, you know, if I have time school, great, good. I'll go when I can go. Um, but that's kind of just, and then, you know, since I'm not a big turkey guy, 
I haven't taken it. I didn't take any turkey trips the last two years. Um, I went to Alabama a couple years ago, but uh, for, for, for a quick one. But that's the way I approach it with family life. Yeah, man, that's good. That's good advice. I'm actually going to be recording an episode, uh, I think, on Sunday night with a guy who who hosts his own podcast, and that's that's going to be our whole topic is how do you begin to make the balance with your family time and with your hunting and and trying to fit it all in. But man, I got I got two more questions for you. Uh, the first one is this, and this is all before my computer dies. Um, so those spots, so I've got, I've got a spot on public that I really like. And when it's in beans, summertime is hot in this particular area. When it's in corn, the summertime is dead in this particular area. But every year, no matter what was planted there, this little bedding area just off of it, just off this little corner turns on. And I can, I'll have, so like this past year, November 5th through 12th, I had a mature buck on daylight or on camera in daylight every single day. Now it may have been nine in the morning. It may have been one in the afternoon. Some point during the day, I had a mature buck on that camera. So I know the spot's going to turn on eventually. How are you treating those areas that, that you know they're going to turn on, but your summer and early fall may be hit or miss? Are you leaving a camera there just to wait, wait it out? Or are you going to move one in there later on in the season? So there are spots that I have that situation where I expect, like I have a deer that's going to summer here and transition to his fall. I will only go put them in the fall range if I'm either a, expecting to be too busy to put those cameras up. So like I will wait for the usually the first week of October and I'll go there. But then you're giving up cameras that you could be using somewhere else to learn about early patterns or find more deer. So I may go pull some from some summer spots and then take them over there if at all possible. Um, if you've got the resources or you're lacking the time and you can go put those cameras out, let them soak, do it. Um, but if I know an area's not going to turn on until fall, I'd rather wait until I know it's going to be good, especially if I have some historical data and I can count on that because these are patterns repeat themselves year in and year out. And so if you know that, you'll use that camera to be, I want my camera to be the most beneficial for information purpose at, at all times, if at all possible. Gotcha. And time doesn't allow for that all the time but you know i want them i want them in the right spot if i can help it well man i i really appreciate you coming on the show uh where can folks find more from you if they want to check out uh some of your trail camera pictures and keep up with what you're doing yeah i post most of my stuff on instagram just reach johnson seven um of course you can find me on facebook or twitter or any other good stuff too um and then i've got a real estate page on facebook if anybody's interested in looking at um, farms or, or anything about moving to Western Kentucky or Tennessee, I'd be happy to help uh, in that way also. Awesome. Good deal, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yep, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. Big thanks to Reese for coming on. Definitely need to have him on again as I feel like we just barely scratched the surface on some things. Uh, also, thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, Deer Lab. Go show your support for the partners that support this show. You can find more awesome outdoor-themed content at thesportsmansempire.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network so you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, go check out my other show, The Wisconsin Sportsman. It's based in Wisconsin, but the content is relevant no matter where you call home.